Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 38, coming at you from the Minya True Value and Riverwood Gallery Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm Eric, the Big E Fisher, producer, co-host, studio host, men on the ones and twos. Across the table from me, our only co-host this week, probably, Ramsey Thompson. Ramsey, how you doing, buddy? Awesome. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Justin may or may not be here for part of the episode. We don't know for sure yet. If he is, it won't be until the end. So for all you Justin Dahl fans, all is not lost yet. But it's not looking great either. So it, you might just have another week of the Eric and Ramsey show. Which is darn. You're going to hear me talk more. <laughs> right. So a couple pieces of business before we get too far in the episode. First, our partners over at Monkey Knife Fight. I tell you what, Ramsey, I've been winning a lot of contests lately because the Brewers' offense, aside from one game over the weekend, has been red hot. You play the home run derby contest, you pick at least one guy to hit a home run, you're making money in the halfback. So just just pick pick a Brewer, maybe two, because you get to pick three from both teams in that game. Pick two, you know, maybe Luis Urias, who's been red hot. Avasiel Garcia, who's been the team home run leader. So Christian Yelich was, has also been hot. Correct? Christian Yelich has been red hot. We'll get to that a little bit later. So you pick any one of those kind of four or five guys from the Brewers. Maybe pick two of them. You're guaranteed at least to get like one home run. And that gets you a win. So Monkey Knife Fight and our friends over at Ray's Energy. New flavor dropped on Friday. It's the White Peach. I have not gotten around to trying it yet because it just dropped on Friday. Shipping won't even be here yet. But here's what I can say about Ray's energy. Ramsey, you saw me on Friday, correct? I did. How tired did I look? Not even tired at all. If anything, I would have thought you woke up from a nap very refreshed. Okay. So here's a little fun fact. And this is, this is not BS one bit. This is 100% fact. I worked overnight at WPS on Thursday night going into Friday. I woke up from my pre-work nap at like 9 p.m. I worked a 10-hour shift. At WPS. So, so that gets me to 8.30 in the morning. I came home, played a little Madden, took a literal one-hour nap. That was it. Knocked down a rainbow-flavored uh, rainbow Raise Energy, and I was up till 1 in the morning Friday night. And I didn't see any crash. We went, there was no crash. We went up to help out our friend Justin, as you guys all know, up in uh, Gillette at the... Made our football debut. Made our football debut. Coaching. Coaching yep. debut. And uh, I didn't even see any crash. There was no crash. We're sitting there. You were laser focused. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely shooting laser beams on the field. From the booth. From the booth. I mean, it was it was insane. And I couldn't imagine I got one hour of sleep. Yeah. Raise energy. Coming through. White peach on top of all their other great flavors. Check it out. Get it before it's gone because the stuff moves quick. Well, they have a flavor you're going to like, no matter what. You go down the list. They've got grape, which is kind of like grape Big League Chew. Anything you can think of, they pretty much have. You know what they don't have? What's that? Stereotypical energy drink flavor. Like Why? Monster. Why would you even want that, though? You don't. And that's what I'm saying. They don't have it. If, you, if you're looking for like that bullshit monster taste, suck down a monster because those things suck. And you'll crash. You will not crash on Ray's Energy, nope. and it tastes good. So that's our friends over there. And then with that, we start off with what we always do, the positives of the last week. 
what we had rooted for, sponsored by Fanatics. Brewers playoff gear almost coming in. It hasn't been clinched yet, but it's it's coming close. Packers season starts in two weeks. Badger season gets off on our week this weekend. Plenty of stuff for you guys to go pick from. Hashtag love on. Show your love for your team. We've got plenty of stuff to love on. We'll get a bunch of you know reaction from Wisconsin sports this next coming episode here. Lots of stuff to be happy about. Lots of stuff to get excited for. Get your gear now before it's too late. Fanatics has over 300 plus stores powered. Different teams, organizations, sports, NASCAR, golf, e-gaming. It's all there. If you can root for it, it's there. Fanatics.com. Does root for Wisconsin? Are we on there? We should be. We're not yet. I think we should get some gear up on uh, Fanatics. Fanatics. We really should. One day. One day. So with that said, what we had rooted for, Ramsey, I'll let you start this one off. I rooted for Jake Paul last night, kicking the shit out of Tyron Woodley. Okay, so I'm glad you brought this up, because I knew we were going to talk about it one way or another. I did not watch the fight. That was a mistake. The split decision I heard was controversial. It wasn't close. Jake Paul won. Really? Can elaborate a little bit? Because First of all, I don't know boxing that well. I know enough. If I were to score it, it would have been... Jake Paul won seven of the eight rounds. Oh, okay. I don't think it was even that close. You might have been able to give Tyrone two, two okay. maybe. So here, here's what I heard, and I'm going to go through the basics. And this has nothing to do with the Paul brother. We've talked endlessly about how great whether they are. or not they're geniuses, which they kind of are at this point. Like they're smarter than most of us. I mean, Jake's four and zero. I mean. Not even talking about the boxing. I'm just talking about the marketing and oh. the fact that they've become millionaires and just do boxing now when they don't have to because they had the YouTube stuff, they had the podcast stuff going well. Yeah. They said, hey, let's just be a little bit extra. Let's tap a little bit extra into this. Let's go do pay-per-view boxing fights where it's $50 a buy. Fifty-nine. Fifty-nine dollars $59. $59.99. So $60 a buy. And let's just do the most internet stuff ever, and let's get all these pay-per-view buys and just make bank a couple times a year. I, those numbers are going to come out later this week. Pay attention, because that's going to be a big... Um, really, I'm thinking it did pretty well, mm-hmm. just for the fact that there, it was Sunday night and nothing else was on. Yeah, there's preseason football. There was an okay baseball game. NASCAR was on Saturday night. So there was nothing else going on. Right. Which, by the way, I hate the Sunday night pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. So I wish it was Saturday. With the exception of Memorial Day and Labor Day weekends. No, I hate The only Sunday. time I'm okay with that. hate Sunday night pay-per-views. So here's, here's the critical boxing analysis that I saw. Because like I said, very kind of controversial that it was a split decision. I saw from what I... From, again, people who are smarter in boxing than me saw that Woodley was backing Jake Paul down quite frequently. He landed the more significant strikes and that Jake Paul's offense was just kind of just throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks. No. Okay. Whoever told you I was wrong. Like I said, just some analysis sure, that's on Twitter. That's, so I would say that's from somebody that is saying like, Oh, I want to see knockouts. Like I, the person, like a UFC fighter mm-hmm. fan watching a boxing fight, that's the like vibe I got. Okay. Jake Paul was the better boxer. And Tyron Woodley had, I believe, six power hits connected. 
Okay. He only landed like I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it wasn't it was like a third of what Jake Paul did. Okay. And like I said, I was watching the fight. And the fact that it was a split decision was a robbery. Like it, it wasn't unanimous. Shocked me. Um. Jake Paul is somewhat of a flawed fighter because he's obviously 24, started boxing at 21. Right. So there is holes in his game. Like, sure, when you compare him to, like, Canelo. Right. Or Triple G or, you know, any of the premier fighters in the world, he's going to have holes. I would even think, like, if he went the guy in the ring with Conor McGregor for a boxing match, Conor probably beats him. Right. Like, so what... But when you're talking about a guy who only has three years' experience, he's beating professional fighters. He's beat two of them in a row. Right. Say what you will about... They're both older UFC kind guys. Kind of washed up UFC guys, but those guys are still fighters. They've been fighting their entire life. They have fighter mentality. Right. So is Jake Paul a perfect boxer? No, he's not. And call a spade a spade. He's a, he looks like a really, really, really good amateur. Is what he looks like. Okay. I wouldn't necessarily even say he's professional yet. I would like to see him fight a boxer mm-hmm. to see where he really lines up. Right. But there was a couple moments throughout the fight where you'd watch him and you'd be like, okay, that works when you're fighting an ex-UFC fighter. It won't work against it a boxer. It won't work against a boxer. Okay. That's not to say that I don't think that he can take a punch. Because he did. He took probably out of the six power punches that Tyrone would landed Two of them, I'm like, oh, shit. But Jake wasn't phased, took the shot, and here's playing. Here's the other thing I'm going to say. To the credit of Jake Paul, which I'm not the biggest Paul brother fan. Like I said, I think they're geniuses. But I also kind of think they're douchebags. But that's why they're geniuses. Because it works. What their brand is, is it works for them. So what I would say, though, is I give a lot of respect to both Jake and Logan. Because, yeah, they're getting these ex-UFC fighters to do boxing matches with them. But in a kind of a roundabout way, they're not cheating the, the fight game either. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're kind of, I mean, they have a little bit of a head start because they've got the notoriety. But they're still kind of just doing amateur boxing in a roundabout way. You know, it's not like they're fighting. Like you said, they're not fighting pro boxers. and They're not going after guys in their weight class for championship belts just because they're, you, you know, YouTube guys. They're doing these celebrity-type fights and, and these kind of cut-their-teeth type fights on guys that are you've heard of. Because if you look at, like, big-time boxers, like Floyd Mayweather's fights, of the first, you know, he's, what, 50-0, whatever? Right. The first probably six or seven you probably had never heard of. No, and honestly, even myself, as a, I consider myself a fairly big Floyd Mayweather fan. I didn't really start watching his fights until late 30s, early 40s. Right. So I saw about the last 12 fights of his career. Right. So it's not even like a lot of people even pay attention to him before that. I believe he fought um, the names escaping right now, but it was like UFC or their. His 39th fight or something was mm-hmm. his kind of his big breakthrough fight. Right. So he went 39 fights out fighting anyone. That you remember. Or even Canelo. Canelo didn't fight Mayweather until I believe that was around his late 20s. Mm-hmm. His late 20 fight, like 28 or 29. Right. And, he fought and that's what I'm saying. So you, you, they're not cheating the fight game. So it, it's all, I mean, say what you will about 
the Paul brothers, whatever, but still, it's very true to boxing. So I have the numbers actually in front of me from a fight last night. Um, we'll write down the line. Jake Paul was on his jabs was 36 of 122 for a 36% or 30% shot percentage. Mm-hmm. His power punches were 35 of 85 for a 41%. And his total punches were 71 of 207. Okay. Uh, Tyron Woodley he had, was 11 of 48 for jabs, 41 of 115 for power, total 52 of 163. So Jake Paul threw more shots, landed more shots, and landed him at a higher percentage. So the fact that it was a split decision just is absolutely – that should be my nugget of the week. Like, that's – not okay. Yeah, we can get to that if you want to maybe even double down. But uh, what I had room for, I'm going to take a page out of your book because I actually did end up, this is probably the most uh, deep sports watching I actually did this weekend was the NASCAR Daytona race. And, I mean, it was really interesting just kind of seeing. So you had some guys at the front that were really looking for that last playoff spot to get that, seal, you know, steal the win and not to rely on points because it was really, like we said last week, was it Austin Sindrick's race to lose? For Tyler Reddick. Tyler Reddick. Tyler Reddick was... Uh... Tyler Reddick's spot to lose, unless somebody else won. Yeah, and I mean, he almost lost it, too. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to get at here, is there was excitement. I mean, there's excitement anytime you go to Daytona, Talladega, those super speedways. There's a lot of excitement there in the first place. You had Ross Chastain running up front for a good while. You had Bubba Wallace, who is a good super speedway driver. Ended up finishing second place. Maybe, so, maybe he should be on the WWE. We'll get there. We'll get there. But you had a lot of guys who were looking to steal that spot. Tyler Reddick ends up getting the last spot, but you did have some excitement. I wish I would have came down to a couple extra playoff spots actually being on the line. But and then it was Austin Dillon who wrecked, because he was the 17th, the guy in 17th, because it's 16 cars that get in. He was the next closest, but he still had to win to get in for all intents and purposes. The thing that I guess that frustrates, I guess I'll, that'll be my nugget. We'll get to that a little bit. So, all in all, like I said. Oh, good race. It was, good race. It was entertaining. Entertaining. Um, Ryan Blaney. I, I'm a Ryan Blaney fan. I like Ryan Blaney. I like Ryan Blaney. Seems like a good, just a good, like. Well, as I've said before on this show, probably my favorite part of NASCAR besides the actual race is going on Tuesday and watching Radioactive. Ryan Blaney is one of the funnier guys on there. Well, it's like wild because I know a lot of you guys aren't going to get this reference, but he's Dave Blaney, his dad. Yeah. Like Dave Blaney was just like a dude. And that's what Ryan Blaney is. You watch him, he's like, yeah, I can go get a beer with that guy. Like he's not. He's good enough to win a couple races a year, which is what he's, this is his third win this year. He's good enough to win a championship. Yeah. I would say that without a doubt, he's probably had one of the most consistent seasons of anyone. He had some inconsistent finishes, but. For consistent speed, yeah, all the way through the season, he's well, been, and that's one that's kind of you know the kind of the breakdown of being on radioactive is he's he's so funny because he's he had some really bad luck quite frequently, but he was uh, he was up front enough where it mattered that he had not great luck. Well, but he still finished good enough to you know be well within like I said he won three regular season races. So in NASCAR, you don't have to be. You do not have to win the most races. You don't even have to be the most talented driver. You have to be the most consistent. And even going to the playoffs going forward, 
you have to be the most consistent driver. The mm-hmm. most consistent driver, 95% of the time will win the championship. Right. Very rarely do you have a surprise driver come out of nowhere to steal a championship from someone else. Mm-hmm. Actually, really, in this points format, it's never actually happened. A lot of people talk about Joey Logano back in 2018. But when you looked at the numbers going into Homestead, he had the highest average finish of the other three. Right. So consistency will end up winning in NASCAR. And well, most sports, if we're being honest. That's, yeah. And that's what Ryan Blaney does. Ryan Blaney is a lot like Chase Elliott. They're very similar driving styles. Kind of aggressive, but won't normally turn you. Cautiously aggressive. Right. And that's what it takes to run championship. So they're one of those guys, too, where you're like, oh, they were leading, and now all of a sudden they're in 19th place. And then you look at the end of the race, and they're like, oh, seventh place finish. Mm-hmm. So that's where Ryan Blaney is. So good for him winning a big race. That's one of the big ones in the NASCAR schedule. Yeah. The uh, fall Daytona race, I guess, now. So with that, we go from the positives to the negatives. Tyler here, Nugget of the Week. And you want to stay in the NASCAR route, so I'll let you go. So I guess my Nugget of the Week would be, again, NASCAR. So if you look at the point standings as of right now, the top about 10 are guaranteed to move on. Unless something tragic happens. Unless you wreck out the next two races, the top 10 are going to move on. So NASCAR makes this big deal about, oh, the final transfer playoff space for number 16. Mm-hmm. The 16th ranked car will never win a championship, nor will even relatively be competitive for a championship. This year's a little different because you have Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin who are both there. Kevin Harvick is the 16th place. Well, that's driver points. Never mind. Playoff standings. Um, yeah, Kevin Harvick's the 16th driver. So technically, I mean, he's the best position 16, but you're right. But So you look at the standings between spot, I believe it's Joey Logano to Brad Kozlowski, so I believe it's That's 9, to, nine 10. to 10. It's like 15 points. Um, I have no idea. I don't know how to read this. You You can take over here, buddy. So, yes. So it would be Joey Logano is eight points above the cut line. Okay. And Brad Kozowski is three. Okay. So from nine to ten, you're talking about five-point gap, which isn't a lot, but... It's enough. It's a pretty sizable difference. Whereas even if you look at, like, Kyle Larson, who's 47 above... Mm Mm-hmm. Kyle Larson's basically locked into the round of eight for sure. 47 points is probably five races. Right. So we're really talking about last week at Daytona where everyone's like, oh, well, this last playoff spot's up for grabs. Yeah, it is. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Your 13th place car is 47 points behind the leader. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, really, your champion will come from the top eight, nine, probably. Okay. Probably Brad Kozlowski's your cutoff. Anyone below Brad Kozlowski probably doesn't have a chance with how they've been running this year. Maybe Kevin Harvick. Maybe Denny Hamlin if they get hot. Denny Hamlin's seventh, by the way. Okay, so, so seven, which is amazing because he didn't, he didn't win a race this year. Mm-hmm. But he's, still, he has, he's had some bad luck, too. But pretty much everyone below... I would say Brad Kozlowski, because I think he's there is some good tracks coming up for him. Mm-hmm. 
so again, like I said, I guess my nuggies kind of NASCAR for making a big deal about this playoff, and it really doesn't matter. It'd be a lot better if they went back to a ten car format, right? Because then you would actually see some interesting like drama, I guess, going through. All right, my nugget of the week is going to be James Lofton. What a bum. James Lofton is the color commentator for Green Bay Packers preseason football. He's paired with Kevin Harlan, who is one of the best to ever do play-by-play commentary. I don't like Kevin Harlan. Really? Yeah, I'll pass. Regardless, he's still one of the more talented, like... He's not lack of talent. His voice annoys me. That's fair. I mean, you either like that or you don't. He seems way too optimistic all the time. That's fair. I'll, I'll give that to you. But that's just more of a personal... You, you yeah, can't deny no, the talent. Yeah, No, I don't disagree that he's not a great broadcaster. It's just not my favorite. So, James Lofton, and he's been doing preseason games for a while. He's taken over since, I think, Rich Gannon was right before him. Which I don't know why they had Rich Gannon doing Packers play-by-play, but good for him. He had no affiliation with Green Bay, like, ever. James Lofton, for people who don't know, is ex-Packer player from... 80s. Was it that long ago? Yeah. I must have said 90s. No, 80s. So someone that's completely irrelevant to anyone who's under the age of 35. Easily. Easily speaking. He's pretty much irrelevant in general, but... So, a couple things with Mr. Lofton. First of all, he tries entirely too hard to try to be relatable to your football viewer. He's relying 100% on his namesake of being a former Packers great, which he was. He's a NFL Hall of Famer. That's where it stops, though. At one point, he was talking about, like, oh, yeah, you're 16 years old. You want the key to the caddy, and, and you end up with a, a beat-up Buick or something like that. So, like, I don't even remember what they were talking about in the game. That just The line stuck out, and it was stupid. And it just so many trying to, you know, he's trying to be funny, trying to be anecdotal, and try to talk about the modern game of football, which he has no ties to. Ramsey, you and I were talking pre-game or pre-show here about, like, the change in the NFL from even 10 years ago. I would where it's say at now? the last probably five, five or six, mm-hmm. probably. So you have a guy who hasn't played football easily. I mean, he was pro- in the, pro- the Hall of Fame in 2003. He is 65 years old. James Lofton has not played. He was a 1978 draft pick. He has not played since 1993. That's... He has not played in the time that Ramsey and I were alive. And then some. And then tries to be relatable. And tries to be relatable. Just, it, it's not it. And at one point, the funniest, like my parents laughed. And I, I know enough about James Lofton and the, let's just call it sketchy stories of James Lofton. He made a reference to being in the same elevator with Kylan Hill. For those of you that don't know, James Lofton and elevators do not mix. <laughs> don't you love living in Green Bay and getting all the... The old player gossip from back in the day. So all you gotta do is say hot tub. <laughs> True, and you just know. You just know what's going on. So elevator and hot tub, two just very. Let's not talk about those types of things, especially maybe not on a on a TV broadcast. Or I mean, I guess you could even talk about like it f- in a former Packer. Oh, and some about poop. Oh yeah, you could. There's a couple you could talk to about <laughs> that. Um, you could also go the route of uh, picture messages. There's all sorts of them. So, I mean, and these guys aren't perfect. They're, they're humans. But, 
Yeah, James Lofton should not be on the Packer preseason broadcast. Like, John Kuhn is a sideline reporter, and in, in a way, he's probably just kind of tuning that up because he also does stuff for Packers Radio Network with Wayne and Larry. But that's the other thing. Like, I mean, granted, Larry McCarron works for the Packers, so he's there on a daily basis. He actually knows these guys. And John Kuhn does, too. But Larry McCarron has been out of football for longer than James Lofton has and is more relevant and a better color commentator than James Lofton. It's not even close. He also has more crooked fingers. That is accurate as well. So that is my nugget of the week. I'm also going to have a partial nugget of the week, and he's not here to defend himself to Justin. Um, for the reason that here Rams and our, our, our volunteering our free time. Three days in a row. Three, actually. Two days in a row for me. You know, sleep. But and we can't even get a shout-out in the program, or at least on the announcements of assisted by, you know, Justin Dahl, coaching Jill football, assisted by so-and-so, 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 Ramsey Thompson and Eric Fisher. Think about the pop that would have gotten. Two local homegrown kids making their coaching debut. Not so much homegrown for you, but still, you've got enough Jill B- Big celebrity yeah. around town. I mean, you don't want to shout the celebs? Yeah, I, I just don't get it. So half a nugget to Justin. I guess we'll let it slide. We'll there's it probably slide. some other stuff going on. There's a lot of other stuff going on, and, and, and truthfully, we're not like on payroll or anything like that, so I don't know if they even put our names in there. And that's not why we're doing this. We're I, all, you know, yeah, I really don't care, but it is. it would have been nice. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so half nugget to Justin, full nugget to James Lofton. That's our Tyler Hero nugget of the week. And NASCAR got one from Ramsey. Justin and James Laughlin, the same conversation. That's yeah, that's two names I never thought I'd put together. No. Within like a six word sentence. No. So anyway, um that's Nugget of the Week. We go into kind of the trip around Wisconsin and we go with what's brewing with Eric. And what's brewing, Ramsey, is that the Brewers still have an eight and a half games lead on the division. So it's over. Four to the playoff here now. Basically. From Fanatics, actually. And for all intents and purposes, I mean, the division probably is done. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it. However, I feel pretty confident in that fact that we're pretty close to done with that. Uh, also, the simple fact is that, like I said, big series coming up here. They've got a four-game set against the Giants, who are the best team in baseball. The Reds kind of have the benefit of having a not so tough schedule down the stretch here but they also don't play the brewers anymore are we also though convinced that the reds aren't going to fall apart well the reds have been really hot lately they did take over the second wild card position pretty forcefully from san diego did they well it's a it's a game and a half right now over that they have as the second team in isn't that more of a san diego fall apart though than uh it 100 is 100 is However, they've still had to play well enough to kind of maintain and, and you know, fit that role and be that team uh, to get there. So not entirely, but I see where you're coming from. Uh, with the Brewers, I mean, they did have a three-game losing streak over the weekend. Uh, they had lost the last game against Cincinnati after taking two out of three. And then uh, somehow did lose two out of three to the Twins, but had a very convincing Win on Sunday to kind of right the ship before going out to San Francisco. Who are the twins? Exactly. So, um, the kind of, I guess, the saving graces are that you weren't kind of having your A pitchers go in those games. You had Eric Lauer, who's kind of been the, the sixth man pitcher, if you will. Right. You had Adrian Hauser, who's kind of always been 
around. And you had Brett Anderson, I think, was the last game of the Cincinnati series. So your guys who come playoff time probably won't pitch a game. They'll be on the team, but they probably won't pitch at least until the NLCS if you get there. Because you have, you know, when you're in these short series and when you're in the playoff series, you usually have a day and a day off for travel in there, so you can kind of get that fifth right. day. And you have guys going. So you're not really going to uh, variate between Peralta, Woodruff, Burns. And you might even actually mix in Aaron Ashby, who pitched yesterday very well. So if you remember a couple, uh, you know, a lot of episodes ago, remember the episode you guys gave me shit for talking about spring training baseball? Talking about Eric Ashby, yeah, we yeah. remember. He's so still a nerd. Look, look who, look who is uh, playing some very meaningful innings for the Brewers and making starts and it's only many meaningful if they win a World Series. If you say so, but we can revisit that later. So that is what's brewing. Big game, big series. Like I said, four games set against the Giants, all on the West Coast, and then they will be back in town for Labor Day weekend for a set against the Cardinals to kind of put the hopefully put the nail in their season. Because the Cardinals are kind of falling apart here as the stretch goes along. Cardinals currently 66 and 63. Uh have been five in their last five or five and five out of the last ten. They have they have lost the most recently game. They're on a one game lose streak here. Twelve games out of the division. If you can take at least two out of three from that like I said, that that puts a nail in the Cardinals for all intents and purposes, and finally ruins the Cardinals' September black magic. So, that's sure. that's what's brewing for all of our diehard baseball fans. I told you I'd get it in somehow every episode, and look at that, we've managed never to do it. Never fails. Never fails. So from there, we go to Ramsey's radar. We are going to skip the Badger report because a we're going to talk about that a lot later in the episode. And B, Justin's not here, and he didn't really send us a whole lot. So you're going to get Eric and Ramsey's Badger report later. Which will not be near as good as Justin's. Unless he decides to join us, which he very well could. We'll, we'll work that out here in a little bit. So Ramsey's radar. Ramsey, your weekly predictions. I don't think you had one that was a week-by-week basis last week, did you? It's hard to have a week-to-week prediction right now because there's nothing really going on. That's fair. In sports in general. Um, I do think that we're going to see a, I think Mac Jones is going to have a big season. And I'm not a big fan of Mac Jones, but he seems to be in the right place to actually have a winning season. So I think a lot of these other rookie quarterbacks we're going to see a lot of struggle from. Like Trey Lance is going to play at some point this year, mm-hmm. but he's unrefined. I don't know if you guys have anyone's watched Trey Lance so far this year. I've watched his highlights, basically. And he looks like what I thought Jordan Love was going to look like last year. Very just kind of inconsistent. I think he's completing 47% of his passes through the preseason. Oh, wow. So, a lot lower than what you would like, but he does have highlight moments in there. Okay. I think that um, Justin Fields in Chicago, for obvious reasons, I don't think that's going to work just because it's Chicago, and they seem to find a way to mess up everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville. Um, his best running back goes down, torn ACL. I think Trevor Lawrence will have the most long-term success. However, um, with the current states in Jacksonville, and even all the rumors, I saw those coming out of Urban Meyer getting a lot of flack from players lately. From veteran players specifically saying that they don't really like his coaching style. Um, so I think Justin, or Trevor Lawrence is going to have some groin pains. 
mm-hmm. then I guess really the next one would be Mac Jones in New England. And I think that Cam Newton sounds like he's playing himself out of a starting job. He's not playing himself out of his starting job. That's the problem. Because he had that breach of COVID protocol. Right. He had to sit for five days and couldn't get any last looks. And there's been some reports coming out of New England, which when you hear reports on New England, that should always be something that you either like, what's going on, or that's not real, which I don't think is, I don't think it's not real, but the organization as a whole is kind of annoyed with Cam Newton. Well, that, and that's kind of what I'm saying is he's not playing himself out of a starting job. So that's something that... He is, he's been good enough where they have to kind of, they can't really justify going to Mac Jones right away. But he's also kind of pissed off the wrong people. Where it's kind of working that they're going to go with Matt Jones right away. Right. And then Zach Wilson up in New York, which I don't think... I think he's talented too, but it is the Jets, and just like the Bears, they find a way to mess up everything. Right. So I think you're going to see a big year for Mac Jones. I think that he's going to win a lot of games, and there's going to be a lot of early hype around him. I think his ceiling, again, is one of those quarterbacks that's a lot closer to a Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield... Dak Prescott than Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. So, I, but I do think you're going to see him win a lot of games in New England. All right. So, if you had to make one for this week coming up, I mean, we got Packer cuts tomorrow. Before this episode's going to drop, we're going to have Packer cuts. Do you have anything uh, to go with, or not, not really? It's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? I mean, for the most part, we might see a surprise or two, but... I think the Badgers are going to take care of Penn State. That's not a huge surprise either, Ramsey. These are supposed to be your hot takes, man. There's nothing going on to have a hot take about. <laughs> it's fair. Do you want to give a Brewers hot take? I heard they're good. All right. So, we'll go from there. We'll stay with the game of football. As mentioned, the Green Bay Packers are making cut day tomorrow. We are officially going to have Mason on to talk... Packers next week. We're going to get a regular season breakdown of the guys who made it, the guys who didn't, um, kind of what their roles for this season could be. We're going to probably make some predictions next week, probably go game by game throughout the schedule, all four of us, and see what we think the Packers are going to do, what's their ceiling, what's their worst case scenario. We're going to take a deep dive into that next week. Well, I can tell you all that right now. What? I can tell you all that right now. Ceiling's probably a 12-win team. Basement's probably a 9-win team. Like I said, we'll get there. Just okay. kind of dry. Let it happen next week, Ramsey. It's the Packers. Just let it happen next week, okay? Can can you can you give me that? Can you give me that next week? They do nothing exciting. Well, like I said, we'll get there next week. Like I said, though, they do nothing exciting. So it's not going to be a dumpster fire. It's not going to be. It's the All Packers. Right. All right. Well, again, that's next week's episode. Well, I just gave it to you. You don't have to pay attention next week. Take the week off. That's, that's not what we want to tell our potential listeners, Ramsey. Come on, man. Come on. So, a couple things just to kind of wrap up the preseason here. Jordan Love looked really good Saturday. He did. He looked, he looked competent. And that's something that I think every Packer fan wanted to see. Is just Jordan Love on the field proving that he's worth a first-round pick. Right. So I was, I like I said, I, I watched, I would say, 80% of the game on Saturday. It was a noon kick. It was a really kind of a weird time. It was, huh? To have a playoff or a preseason game. 
So I wasn't a big fan of a noon start on a Saturday afternoon for a preseason game that doesn't matter. Especially a preseason game that probably could do decent in the ratings between the Packers and Bills. Right. Those are two pretty... Um... So a couple of news and notes on Jordan Love. Jordan Love... So Buffalo decided to play their ones. Offense and defense. And Jordan Love, on the first two possessions of the game that he was in for had long, meaningful drives down the field against the Buffalo Bills' number one defense. Granted, they probably were playing more of a vanilla scheme, but they also were throwing in some looks. They were... Matt LaFleur was running a much... And this is my criticism of week one against the Texans, was this week Jordan Love ran a much more regular season version of the offense versus a well, preseason he, vanilla offense. And between him and the Texans game and the Buffalo game... Was Texas was his first NFL, his first game in six hundred days. Right. So now he's had two in three weeks. That's probably you're probably just gonna look crisper just in general, you know. Mm-hmm. So you had that, like I said, you had actual game looks against a actual NFL defense. Can I give a nugget real quick? Go ahead. To all the Packer fans on Twitter having a meltdown about the Packers losing all three of their preseason games. Yeah, go for it. Dunk on him, Ramsey. Like, it doesn't matter. You realize we're not playing virtually any player that matters. There were, and this isn't all just starters, but there were 31 guys who sat out this week against the Bills. Right. These games do not matter to anyone pretty much aside from Jordan Love. To the average Packer fan. If you're an average Packer fan that does not care about the roster battle at... Wide receiver. Middle linebacker. Yeah, I mean... This is a, those are the things that matter. If the Packers didn't score a touchdown, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I'm getting at here. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you saw very good drives going down the field with the Packers, twos and threes. Yeah. I mean, Amari Rodgers played a little bit, but not much. He did not, I mean, Malik Taylor might be on this roster, but really, I mean, that's the only... I mean, he had A.J. Dillon in the backfield, Kylan Hill in the backfield. Which I think A.J. Dillon's going to see a lot of minutes this year. I think Kylan Hill's going to see a lot of minutes this year, too. Which is not necessarily a bad thing with Aaron Jones. Not injury history, but he's another one of those guys that seems to get dinged up for a game or two a year. And Kylan Hill opened a lot of eyes this preseason, which if you can have an undervalued seventh-round pick, it's amazing that he got to the seventh round. Oh, and I think that was yeah. Justin. Justin said that after the draft, was that was probably his favorite pick. Right. And I can see why. And so with all that said, I mean, you weren't going to have any really shocking developments in this game. Um, the one criticism, and I'm also going to give a quick, you know, jump in on your nuggie of Packers Twitter for overreacting to one interception Jordan Love threw. It and it wasn't it was not a good play. It was a play that a young quarterback should have thrown away. You know, you got there's a different and this is kind of the benefit of preseason, but the play he was scrambling to his right. He threw a ball up to the end zone when he should have just thrown it away. It was second down. Live to see another play. But that's something that you get out in that moment and that you can have a teaching moment because everybody Everybody on Twitter, Packers Twitter, was having, you know, trying to be Mr. Hot Take, trying to, you know, get their their quick one-liners out. Oh, I was just about to tweet. He was having a good play, you know, good series. 
and he threw an interception. So everyone gets so reactionary to something that doesn't really matter. And then you see on the sideline, it's a coaching moment for Aaron, Matt, with the young quarterback, where they're sitting there laughing with him and just saying, hey, you know, maybe you just check that one down in a regular right. season. Because he's got it in a way, it's kind of good that you see that because then maybe he's not, you know, he doesn't trust that arm like Favre does. And he's smarter with the ball in the regular season. Kind of get it out of the way, you know? But even your NFL starting quarterbacks, they get one of those a year. Aaron Rodgers traditionally has one a year where it's just like, what? Mm -hmm. Where was that going? Even Patrick Mahomes has one of those. So the fact that we have Jordan Love, who has played two games in 600 days, he mm-hmm. gets one. Like, he gets one bad luck. And leading up to that point, it was a lot of good. Right. Like, you can't just justify saying well, and, that. And leading up to that point, I mean, like I said, you had a lot of, I mean, there was one, I mean, he had the deep ball to Taylor down the sideline, which everyone kind of pointed to and was tweeting out just because it was a, I mean, Malik Taylor ran that, if you ever played Madden with the Packers, it was like the corner out route. Or the corner yeah. strike route where it's like a slant and a go route and then a breakout towards the sideline. And he ran that perfectly. It opened up. Jordan Love hit him perfectly. I mean, he had no one around him for five yards. I'm, gonna, I'm not saying I could make that throw because I couldn't. Realistically. Well, he I mean, might be able to. Probably would be able to. But, but you know what I'm trying to say here is that Jordan Love hit it right on the break. He found the open guy. But you said that even in practices that you were going to, that Jordan Love has a really nice deep ball. Oh, he does. And you saw it right there. I mean, it looked right. And then the play that I don't think gets enough talk about, it was a third and or second and long, third and long play. Again, to Malik Taylor, who I think cemented himself onto this team again on Saturday. That had nothing to do with the Devin Funches injury? Right. Nothing to do with that? No, I don't think it did. Because <laughs> I think they were both going to make the team. Yeah, so do I. But, so Malik Taylor runs a let's call it a, an out route and Jordan hit him it was yeah it was an out route to the sideline Taylor had just actually had a false start the previous play so you're kind of like oh man young guy can't have that there hits an out route he threw the ball before the break and just hit him perfectly on the numbers gets the first down keeps the chains moving 15 yard gain there was a lot of a lot a lot of good uh, that came out of Jordan Love. And that's in going into the preseason. I know that was obviously what all Packers fi- fans' eyes should have been on. I can confidently say that I saw enough this weekend and against the Texans where if Aaron went down, would the Packers win a Super Bowl? Maybe not. But if Aaron went down with an injury that was going to keep him out for a couple of weeks, I'd feel pretty confident in Jordan Love. And if Aaron's not back next year, I would also feel confident enough in Jordan Love. To be long-term a good NFL quarterback. Like I said, I don't think he's a superstar, which is okay. And for what it's worth, I don't think Green Bay necessarily needs a superstar quarterback either. Like, I, I truly believe that they are a good enough organization with finding talent that they don't need to have a necessarily Hall of Fame quarterback. Right. So, for what it's worth, I think Jordan Love's in a good position. I think it's in a similar situation to what Daniel Jones is in and New England, where 
you're going to have enough talent around that you can make. It'll be able to you you'll be able to win games. You said? Do you mean Mac Jones? Matt Jones. I said Daniel Dennis. You did. Another bum quarterback. That's what I was going to say. I was really surprised. What the hell has Mac Jones ever or Daniel Jones ever done that you bring him in this conversation? That makes me feel a lot less good about what you were saying. Uh, but no, I, I would agree. Like, I mean, Jordan Love found a good spot. Um, really, I mean, like I, like we said last week, there's not going to be a whole lot of surprises going on with this roster cuts. I mean, even kind of looking right now, the Lombardi have predictions, and you, you can see a couple. They're going to carry two quarterbacks. It's going to be Rodgers and Love. Oh, really? Not shocking. Shocker. Running backs, it's going to be three. It's going to be Aaron Jones, it's going to be A.J. Dillon, and it's going to be Kylan Hill. Right. You can maybe make an argument for a fourth guy. I don't think you need to, though. I don't do think you need to. Um, wide receiver, I mean, like I said, I think Malik Taylor gets the nod. Really, it's if they want to go five or six. If you go five, he doesn't. If you go six, he does. And I think I, I could go six, though, right? Especially with... Because Devin Funches was kind of throwing a wrench in that whole plan where... Do you go six or seven? Because we wanted Hemley Taylor, right? Like it was Jawan Winfrey at first, but Jawan Winfrey didn't end up playing a preseason game. So he's a guy that you can probably stash if you need to, right? Or even injured reserve him if you need to, right? Um, but so Malik Taylor would be the sixth guy if they decide to go that route, which for all intents and purposes they probably will. Right. That'll be really the the most kind of surprising as if he gets cut or not. Uh, tight ends, technically you go four uh, because Jay Sternberg is going to be suspended for the first one or first couple games. You go Tunyon, duh. Mercedes Lewis, duh. DeGuara, duh. Who actually got some pretty good minutes the other day on Sunday or Saturday. And then you go Dominique Daphne, who played Deserves well again. to be on the team. I mean, And is going to be that H-back role. Same thing with DeGuara. last year, right? I mean... Offensive line, again, we said this last week. You don't really, you know, you're not really. We could go over every single name on the offensive line. and You'd recognize the starting five. And and really the big kind of shock there, and it's not really much of a shock, is that Cole Van Landen's probably not going to make the team as a draft pick out of Wisconsin. As great of a story as it would be, there's just guys who are more versatile. Well, and it's uh, there's no shame to him either. It's just that he's a late-round pick. You're Wait, a Super Bowl contending team. And on a top, what, 15 offensive line for sure? Easily. Probably top six or seven. Right. Um, like I said, there, you can make an argument for him over maybe one or two guys. Really, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. Would I be surprised if Cole Van Lana makes the team? No. Because the Packers like to keep and develop draft picks for at least their first year. Right. You don't usually see them cut a guy that they drafted that draft. Actually, very rarely. And that's not just the Packers, but that's pretty... People like to see. Give at least more than one, you know, right. more than three or four months to a guy they drafted. But if he doesn't make the team, I'm not going to be shocked. Um, you look at the defensive line. I mean, again, no surprises here. Uh, this prediction that I'm just kind of reading from, Kenny Clark, Kings of Kiki, Dean Lowry, Jack Heflin, TJ Slayton, Tyler Lancaster. TJ Slayton is going to have big moments this year. think so? The rookie out of Florida is going to play in some big games. Well, he fell in the draft too, didn't he? 
He did, and there's a couple reasons he fell. One, the position switch, and some of the off-field stuff. And just he's never been like the distance. He's kind of like the Rashawn Gary, but Rashawn Gary ended up actually going to the top 12. But there's a lot of those criticisms. Did he ever really actually live up to the hype of the athlete that he is? And Well, even Rashawn Gary, for what's worth, is starting to make a little bit of a turn. Oh, he was making the turn last year. Right. So we'll see what he does this year, what should be. So he's going to be on the team. I, I think he's going to have – that would be my, probably my hot prediction right now pre-week one. And we'll probably get more from Mason about this next week. Right. I was very impressed with TJ Slayton all preseason, all of training camp. He's going to be a guy that I think is going to surprise some people and matter throughout the year. Inside linebacker, Devondre Campbell, Chris Burns, Oren Burks, Ty Summers, Isaiah McDuffie. Uh, McDuffie is kind of one of those, I mean, really, that's another guy that's kind of on that outside looking in, potentially inside looking out. You know, first five, last five. You know, I don't feel great about the linebacker group. No, I don't either. That's and probably the weak point of the defense, right? I mean, right? Inside linebacker. Interior linebacker. Yeah. Um, but obviously they feel enough about the guys who are there right now to have got rid of a draft pick from last year in Kamal Martin. That was a big surprise when they did that. Well, he played well last year. He time. did, and that's, that's, I think, where the big surprise comes is she never really fit in with the new scheme, and they adiosed him in the second round of cuts. So uh, outside linebackers, Zadarius, Rashawn, Preston, Jonathan Garvin. Oh, really? Cornerbacks. This is where it, there's a really good battle to be had here. It's going to be Jair Alexander, Stokes, Kevin King, Chan Sullivan, kind of all duh. Um, Shamar Jean Charles, another rookie draft pick who has shown flash at times in the preseason, but also has looked like a late round draft pick out of Appalachian State. There's uh, one person on that list I would not, I'd have cut. Is it Kevin King? Hmm. I mean, you said it, not me. <laughs> Knowing how you're the local Kevin King or Kevin King hater. Right. And then KB and Ento, uh, gets to the last spot. Uh, there's some. Conversation we had if it's uh, Isaac Yadam, the guy they traded for Josh Jackson, if he's the guy that they want or not. There's been some other uh, cornerbacks who've been in the room who would, you know, could probably make a like last five, first five in, last five out, or first five out, last five in. Uh, Ento gets the nod on this list. I, I can't say I disagree with that. Just the body of work as a whole, he didn't look great in. The game against the Bills, but he looked good enough throughout the preseason. Well, he he's played well in practice too, right? Like, right, that's heard. what I'm saying. Is he had an impressive camp, impressive game speed where he was taking over reps from Josh Jackson with the twos right after the that Houston game prior to the trade. Right. So you feel confident enough with him to put him in that role again. The trade gets made, and everyone's kind of just assuming that you make a trade to keep a guy where all reality between him and like Kadar Holman, these were guys who were probably going to get cut. You try to get something from them, maybe get a different guy in camp to get a different look, see if he's better than what you had, or if not, you can still kind of axe the spot anyway. Well, it's kind of you've been uh, talking about the Devin Funches deal for the last, that you were, you were saying that you think that he should get traded just for either Justin pick. was saying that. that oh, was it was Justin. Justin. I said he should be on the team. Okay, it was Justin. So either I'm way. Sorry. Um, guys that may not have been on the team anyway, you see if we can get something back for them and maybe make a move and 
if they stick, they stick. If not, you're going to cut that spot anyway. So Right, get some value if it's there or not. You know, like... Right. So then you go to safety. Adrian Amos, duh. Darnell Savage, duh. Vernon Scott, relatively speaking, duh. Henry Black has been really good this uh, this preseason. And then Ennis Gaines, who's kind of like, again, that borderline guy. Maybe you get rid of that guy. You keep an extra corner. Maybe you keep that or you get rid of an extra corner to keep him. Maybe you keep, you know, get rid of one of those two guys to maybe keep an extra receiver to keep that seventh receiver. I, I don't know. There's names here that are kind of interchangeable with guys who, if they made the team, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, well, we're also starting to talk, though. We're getting down to the point where a lot of these roster spots don't matter. Like, whoever's the fourth safety saved. Right. It matters. Yeah, I'm sure that, obviously, those guys have about a play a year where you're like, that was a big play, mm-hmm. or they're involved in something big. But, like, you were kind of getting at a lot of those guys are kind of interchangeable as well that... Well, in, in Frawlin, I mean, this is just a different fan-sided article. Dairyland Express, final, you know, first five out. Heflin, Van Lannan, Ento, Gaines, Ray Wilburn. Last five in could be Malik Taylor, Yash Neiman, uh, Chauncey Rivers, Isaac Yadam, and Christian Up- or Uphoff. Uh, Yadam and Uphoff, cornerback safety. Right. So just depending on which route you want to go there, I mean, you can really make the decision. So we'll have more on that next week. Um, again, just kind of a couple takeaways from the Bills game. Jordan Love looked good. Kylan Hill's really good. The defense, you know, don't read in. Josh Allen had like a really impressive touchdown that first drive. Don't read into it too much. I mean, again, well, and he's nobody also, who played mattered. He's also a top seven six quarterback. quarterback. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a guy who could at one point had an MVP case last year. Down the stretch, maybe not as much, but at one point could have had a case for MVP. And then you're going to compare that to playing against the second and third string defense. Guys who might not be in the league in a few weeks. In a couple days. Right. So that's kind of the breakdown of the Packers. I'm all, again, we'll see what happens next week or tomorrow, really. We'll talk a lot about that with Mason. And with that, we go into the Badger report, I guess, if you will, or Badger preview. As they get underway this weekend against Penn State in Camp Randall. Who's favored in that? Well, the Badgers are favored by five and a half. That has actually grown more and more throughout the week. It opened up on Saturday, I think, at three and a half. Oh, give me that all day. And now it's at five and a half right now. Uh, The Badgers. I would probably take about five and a half. I would really, too. If anyone's asking for my opinion, I would. The Badgers' first death chart came out for the year. Uh, or I guess second, because I think they had one last week. But um, the one that came out this week is kind of your, what you're going into the games with. Uh, first quarterback position, no no shock right now. Graham Mertz runs this offense. Had a very quietly good camp uh, from all reports coming out of Madison. Where and There's the, multiple reports to that, too. The defense led the way in terms of superstar power. And they're going to. That's kind of how the Badgers have been built over the last half decade. But then the fact that Graham Mertz can have a quietly good camp because of how good that defense is speaks volumes to how talented he is. And the, re- the relationship he built with these wide receivers and this offense, 
Um, so Cody Wolf at the two, again, no shocks there, especially with Jack Cohen transferring to Notre Dame. That's kind of the role you're going to have. At running back, really kind of a shock to some is Shea Malusi. I'm going to butcher that name. The transfer from Clemson came in, took the number one job, and you're going to have kind of a change of pace back to run with Jalen Berger at the two. Uh, the three back, their three back actually was um, had a very good camp as well. I'd have to get his name, but the guy that they had at the third back was Isaac 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 Guanadero. I probably butchered that, but he is a senior who has gotten or a fourth year guy, so I think he's a redshirt junior, uh, who kind of finally became and flashed his potential of what he was supposed to be. So another good spot for the Badgers there. And then, I mean, you look at wide receiver, uh, Shamiri DK and Kendrick Pryor are all guys who are going to have to matter and play really big, uh, especially with all the question marks with Graham Mertz, not necessarily um, whether or not he can play or sling it, but just a matter of what is he going to bring to his team in year two. Well, and then Graham Mertz, like, until he went down with COVID, so he played a really good. He only played about five games last year, something like that. Yeah, the opening game looked really good, and then it was kind of COVID, and then it, he didn't look as good coming down the stretch. Right, and until the Minnesota game and the bowl game. So, young kid, hopefully get stuff going again. Had a good camp, so that's always um, the start, right? That's where you got to start getting better, and I think he's going to. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you look at the remaining parts of the depth chart, um, the line position, you never really judge anything the Badgers do at offensive line. At least well, not to start with. We know what's right, though. Whatever um, they're going to do is going to work. Yeah. Joe Tipman ends up getting the starting job from the uh, junior, excuse me, the senior, Caden Lo- uh, Lyles, who's also a four-star guy. But, again, Wisconsin offensive lineman, you really can't go wrong. There's going to be two or three of those guys drafted probably in the first three rounds. And then out tight end, Jake Ferguson, which senior. By the way, do you know he's the grandson of Barry Alvarez? Really? They, they may say it really? a couple times in the first if game. Not, well, now that Barry's not there anymore. They're, they're going to say it every stinking game. It, it, without fail. That was sarcasm for those of you I, that can't tell. Every single – basically multiple times a game where every time he catches the ball – Oh, yeah, that's Barry Alvarez's grandson, former Badger football coach, current athletic director, now athletic director emeritus. Every single it's game. Un- it's annoying. But he's a good tight end. So he, that's why he keeps popping up. Well, and he's really Barry Alvarez. I mean, yeah. So that's relevant. you. Um, at the defensive positions, you have another, you know, the, the guys up front, guys I've never heard of. For all intents and purposes, Matt Henningsen, uh, Keanu Benton, Isaiah Mullins. I've heard of Isaiah Mullins. Guys are just the big uglies up front. You're not supposed to know their name. They're just going to get the job done. They're going to be solid defense all year. A lot of faith in them. Yep. Linebacker, you go Nick Herbig, who had probably the most outstanding camp coming out of Wisconsin, playing the outside linebacker number one, wearing number 19. Well, even the Badgers linebacker group, like we've been talking about, that's another one of those position groups that excel. Whatever they're going to do is probably going to work. Right. 
Nick Herbig, Jack Sanborn, Leo Chanel, Noah Burks. All guys you've heard of. All guys who are some of the best in college football that will not get name recognition, but they will be guys who probably play next year, right. two years from now in the NFL. At defensive back, you go Fallon Hicks and Dean Ingram and Caesar Williams are your top three. At safety, uh, Colin Wilder, Scott Nelson at the, sh- at the, full, at the free safety. 6'2", 205-pound senior. Really, really had some big moments in that bowl game right. uh, that really built on a lot of, you know, Wisconsin, again, in secondary is another one of those positions. You really, whatever yeah. route they go, and just it's plug and play every friggin' year. Isn't Wisconsin, hasn't that been what they've kind of become, though? It's plug just and play. kind they're, of a plug and play, and they put players in the NFL. Like, that's just kind of what they've been they're doing. They're a light version. They're, I mean, they're not on the same caliber as Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. But for all intents and purposes, that's exactly what they are. But they're the next rung down. Yeah. And that's not – got to remember what those schools we just talked about. They're, I'm sure their recruiting budget and I'm sure their just football budget in general is double, if not triple, what Wisconsin does. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a knock on Wisconsin. It's just more of that. Well, and the academic standards, too. I mean, they, these are guys who are going to be right. honor students off the field, too. Not that – that Alabama doesn't have those guys, but they well, don't have those guys. Have you seen the people get into Alabama? Right. I could get into Alabama. If you ran like a 4-2-40, sure. Just on academics, I could get into Alabama. Oh, sure, yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> There's not a question about that. Everyone gets to Alabama. <laughs> so, um, that's your Badger starting, uh, starting tw- uh, 22, really. And then you go into week one. Like I said, you're at home against Penn State. Five and a half point favorites. Give me that all day. And that's where uh, college game day is, I believe, too. I would have to double check on that. I believe they're a mess, and that's Brady Quinn said last week. I would have to, I'm going to double check on that quick. Uh, for some reason, I think, because Brady Quinn works for Fox, doesn't he? Oh, that's right. So it'll be um, their big noon game, yeah, the Fox big, big noon. noon game. Yeah, college game day this coming week for the opening week is going to be, I have no idea. They, I think they announced it, didn't they? I thought so. But the big noon kickoff should be Wisconsin-Penn State. I mean, they had picks. I guess college game day started last year. Or last week. Um, Al, Alcorn State and Alabama State was the the opening weekend. But that's essentially your quote-unquote week zero of college football. Where, I mean, it counts, but... Does it really... Right. I mean, there was a Big Ten game, Illinois versus Nebraska. Nebraska lost, too, correct? I believe so, yeah. Could you imagine that? You know, all those old Nebraska fans that saw them dominate the 90s. Right. And now they can't beat Illinois. Yeah, not good. But, yes, if that's where Brady Quinn said that he's on Fox and that's where the big noon game is going to be. It should be a big game. It's going to be nationally televised, I believe. Yeah, that's where big. That's that's going to be their Fox big noon game. That's nationally televised. Um, so then, I mean, we can get a schedule pulled up here. Justin will not officially be joining us, by the way, if you haven't picked that up. So official game by game predictions, kind of early before the season starts. Badgers week one at home. Penn State, 
Five and a half point favorites. Like I said, give me the Badgers all day long. They'll have the stripe out game going where it's going to be kind of candy cane look. White, red, white, red, white, red, white, red, every other section. Camp Randall's going to be jumping after a year of no fans, literally jumping at one point. Yeah, I mean, give me the Badgers. I think they're uh national televised game. Aside from the Big Ten championship games, I mean, Paul Chris really seems to get his guys up for games. Or anytime they play Ohio State. Well, right. But aside from that, I mean, all intents and purposes, this is a... Like I said, I think this is probably going to be the best Badgers team we've seen in a while, too. So, giving them Ohio over Penn State, I think Justin would agree with that pretty unanimously. Week two, uh, Saturday night game against Eastern Michigan. That should be a win, I would think. I would have to speculate that it would be. I don't... I, yeah, I'm not even going to bullshit here. That's going to be Badgers easily. They take a week off, and then it's week three. Badgers, Notre Dame, at Soldier Field. Give me the Badgers on that one. I'm, I've flip-flopped a lot on this game, personally. I know that Notre Dame's probably going to be their best regular season test up until the end of the season. I never think Notre Dame's that good. I don't know, and especially not early in the season, too. They usually kind of struggle to find their footing. And that'll be week three, week four. We might have a different quarterback by that point, too. If it's Jack Cohen or maybe Jack Cohen is kind of being what he wasn't with the Badgers. Right. And kind of showing that athletic ability that we saw it, we saw it in flashes, but wasn't ever enough to really beat out Hornybrook. It wasn't enough to beat out other guys at times. So, yeah, give me, give me the Badgers on that one, too. Um, I think the... Kind of analytical side of it would be don't count out Notre Dame. That's going to be a good game. It should be a good game. College football is always hard to mm-hmm. determine this early on in the year when you haven't really seen anybody. Right. But that should be the Badgers' first, I mean, first real test. Following week, at home against Michigan. Give me the Badgers in that one, too. Yeah. So realistically, three and one, four and zero. Oh, Problem with this, I mean, we have both of them at four and zero. Oh. Illinois, first road game of the year, first true road game. Give me the dub, Illinois. Then they host Army. Give me the Badgers. This should be a win. Travel to Purdue. This is one of those games that's kind of a, a danger game. Who do they play now? The week after Iowa. They host Iowa the week after. See, what, I bet you they drop one of those too. Either Purdue or Iowa. Those teams always seem to be tough cookies. Right. I, I will take the win against Purdue. I think it'll be ugly. Because I think, I think the Badgers are more talented than in years past. And I think that's kind of one thing that we've seen. And just from Wisconsin sports teams as a whole. And, you know, you don't, the Wisconsin curse, whatever. But you've kind of seen curse that. What ring? That's what I'm going to say. Is that you finally start seeing teams win games that they usually would have lost. You've seen it with the Bucks. They probably would have folded against Atlanta this year or against Brooklyn or even Phoenix, even Miami, really. Right. I mean, at any point you could have said, yeah, this team's going to fold and give it in. The Brewers, even, you've seen throughout the year kind of win series that maybe they weren't supposed to or win games that maybe they weren't, you know, that in traditional years, maybe if you play the Reds at home when it mattered, you end up taking. They end up taking two out of three instead of the Brewers one right. out of three. So you're kind of seeing that kind of fall the wayside too. 
like I said, give me the Badgers against Purdue. It may be ugly. You're kind of in a stretch run there. Um, and you maybe start looking ahead a little bit to Iowa, which is at home. Iowa is probably their first real test since the Notre Dame game. Right, depending on the, uh, Michigan, too, depending on how... I guess I'm gonna say I'm never I'm not gonna believe in Michigan until they prove me wrong. Yeah, that that's ultimately where I'm at with Michigan. And they've not done anything to make me think anything. Iowa's gonna be a good game. I don't want to say that they go undefeated at that point, or even get past that point undefeated. But I really can't see them losing to Iowa either. See, I, I think between because the same way about Army, but they play hard. Yeah, that no matter what the score is, they're gonna play you physical. Mm-hmm. So coming off a of physical week, going into Purdue, uh, Purdue, and then into Iowa right after that, those are three. You can talk me into losing one of those two games. I just, like I said, I I have a hard time kind of getting past it either. Like I said, to this point, from everything I've seen, kind of out of camp and everything like that, and just what I know about this Badgers team, I have a really hard time seeing them lose one of those games. I just kind of looking at it week by week on paper, right. Again, before I even really having seen them play, give me the Badgers at that point too. I'm gonna go back to back. Then they travel to Rutgers. Rutgers has been sneaky good last year. Maybe that was a COVID year. They're gonna beat Rutgers. All intents and purposes, they should beat Rutgers. Then they host Northwestern. North. I'm gonna say they lose that game. Probably Northwestern. Because Northwestern, for whatever reason, plays them tough every single friggin' year. And like even last year, we're sitting there just waiting, like, oh. Is now the time we score? Yeah. Is now the time we score? And then we go two halves and let's score. And like, it's just like. It, in, I think they started that game hot too. And then just it went downhill so quick. Yep, and then they never could get momentum back. And that was coming off the COVID two week basically by because right. they couldn't play. So give me Northwestern that game. Because then they get a tune up against Nebraska because Nebraska is going to suck. Then you end the regular season with Minnesota. In Minnesota, give me the Badgers once again. Should be a dumb. They're more talented than Minnesota's. Minnesota's going to be good. That's, that's why these other games, like that stretch where you said the Army-Purdue-Iowa stretch is going to be really important because you don't want to have to come into that last game against Minnesota having to play for the division title. Right. Do I think that they win if that's the case? Sure. But you don't want... You don't want to have to rely on that game. Like, it has been in the past, which is one of the reasons you love college football, because the rivalry game means something. My boy PJ Flex up there, tuning that squad up. So, I'm going to still take the Badgers? Yeah, I mean, I think that they'll probably, that game will probably be, what, four-point Badger favorite probably open? Maybe two and a half, just depending on where we are in the season. Just being in Minnesota. I'm going to say four-point Badger favorite. And then, for all intents and purposes, that gets them to Ohio State. They probably lose to Ohio State. Uh, I did see, and I want to talk to you about this because I wanted your opinion on this. And having not seen the Badgers in what eight months, nine months now, the bet there's a, a, a video from CBS Sports HQ that came out this week where it says the Badgers are a year or two from being relevant to play against Ohio State. I think they're two. Yeah, not counting this year. Or counting this year as the one. Next year, year. if not the year after. I think they are knocking on the door, though. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the segment of just talking about how they've become plug-and-play. They've become 
so deep at every position. Yeah, but that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot of ground to make up. So going back to college football, you know how you and Justin say there's parity in college football, but there's really not. Mm-hmm. So if you look at what Vegas has the odds, I believe it goes from like reasonable odds to super far odds outside of the top six. Number six, I believe, is like an 800-point jump. Right. I think Georgia, if I remember right, is at number five for betting odds at like plus 600 or something. But then after that, it goes like plus 1,600. So let me ask you this, because, I mean, just a young Ohio State team. And granted, we're weeks away. We've not seen any of these teams play outside of the shit show that was Illinois, Nebraska. If the batters knocked off Ohio State, would how surprised one to one to ten? How surprised would you be? I wouldn't be surprised. Not necessarily because of the Badgers. I would be more so surprised. This is going to sound like oh, every team loses a Big Ten championship game at some point or another. Mm-hmm. And it, so, if the Badgers knocked off the Buckeyes, that wouldn't surprise me. Like, I'd be like, okay, yeah, they're they're due for a loss. But I do think Ohio State is considerably more talented. I don't think it's really that close. I think Ohio State's again, they're that they're in the top five. That top five to the rest of the country. I don't think I think there's a pretty big talent gap. That's fair. No, I I'm gonna say I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be wildly surprised. I mean, aside from what four or five years ago, Wisconsin's always kind of given them a game in the Big Ten Championship anyway. They've really not gotten blown out of the water in that game. And I don't think they've always been as good as they are now. Granted, Ohio State just maintains being that good. I'm going to give you the college football national championship odds as of August 21st. Okay. Alabama, Alabama Crimson Tide plus 260. Yep. Clemson Tigers plus 400. Ohio State Buckeyes plus 600. Georgia Bulldogs plus 750. Oklahoma Sooners plus 750. And then I was just talking about that line that is kind of drawn. From Oklahoma to Iowa State, it goes from plus 750 to plus 3,000. So you can look at just the odds right now. Your national title will come down to those top six teams. More than likely, yeah. You'll, you're going to get a surprise in there. They're not going to win it, just like they do every year. right? You're going to get a Notre Dame that flies in, or you're going to get an Auburn, or you know, even I, you know, Wisconsin, right? I mean, that's a very real possibility, I would say. Right. But the talent gap between Oklahoma to Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Does it have Wisconsin's odds in there? Plus 5,000. They are... So there's a group of about, from North Carolina to Iowa State, there's 2,000 between. So Iowa State's plus 3,000, North Carolina's plus 5,000, and then plus 5,000 goes all the way down to Wisconsin Badgers. Okay. So according to Las Vegas, we're talking that the Badgers are in the second group down, long odds in the second group. 
Right. So kind of like I was just saying, we're probably talking that the Wisconsin would be the cutoff of that teams that can probably actually make the national title. Because like, like I said, there's one team every year that seems to, like Washington was a couple of years ago, or Oregon, or... The playoff four. Right. Right. There's that one team that kind of sneaks into the playoffs that doesn't necessarily belong with the rest of them. So that's kind of where I think Wisconsin is. I think... Um, Wisconsin's very much trending to getting... They're trending upwards to get out of that category and be in that next category up, they're not... I don't know if they're quite there yet. Like I said, I have. there's a lot of things I have to see this year to see where they're trending, like how close they are to that next level. I won't be surprised if this Big Ten... or this Badger team... I, I'm expecting them to get to the Big Ten championship game. I don't think that's unrealistic. I think that's a very realistic... projection, if you will. I don't think that's asking too much. I think that's where they should be. They should be in the Big Ten championship game just about every year. I think that last year, you know, it was a down year. COVID was running rampant in Madison. I think that bounces back this year. You have solidarity between the whole team this year for a whole season. You're not going to have guys who sit out. You're not going to have guys who can't play for two, three weeks. Like I said, I think they really kind of get everyone on the same page and and really use this camp that you've heard so many good things about defensively and offensively. Right. And just really run with it. If they give if they give Ohio State a game, even if they knock off Ohio State, do they win a national championship this year? Probably not. That's being relatively grounded in reality. But if they give Ohio State a game and maybe sneak a field goal at the end? Yeah, and like I was saying, those top six teams, I would bet the house that you're – those top six is where your national titles are going to come from. Whoever wins the national titles is going to come out of that top six. The, the Badgers, I think, are in that next tier down. Of teams that can get in but probably won't win. But do you remember, even in our lifetime, though, that hasn't necessarily been the case. So they're trending in the right direction. It's just a matter of there's that little hurdle right at the end that you still have to get over to get that next... Step up. Clemson did it a few years ago. Alabama did it when um, Nick Saban got there. Right. And, you know, even the Oklahomas of the world, with those stretch of quarterbacks they have, kind of took that next step over. And even the one that they have this year is who's the odds on Heisman favorite right now. Who also never wins the Heisman. So whoever's the odds on favorite, do not bet the odds on favorite from the Heisman. Right. Just because... The Heisman is kind of becoming what like a lot of MVP races are in sports. I mean, especially in the NBA, the Heisman is becoming kind of the best story versus right. the best it's, season. Yep. And I mean, it, you've seen it for a while because there's no reason Joe Burrow or that uh, Trevor Lawrence should didn't win a Heisman in college. Right. I mean, you look at his sophomore year when Joe Burrow won it. It was the best story. And Joe Burrow had an amazing year. Right. He had one of the all-time years. But I but, think Trevor Lawrence is still the best player in college football. Right. So, you're right. Like, the the player who's going to be drafted number one, which is probably going to be Spencer Rattler, if, the season, you know, if there was no college football season this year. There's also that quarterback out of North Carolina that's drawing a lot of buzz. And then there's Bo Nix out of Auburn, too. Can't forget about him. There's the guy who's made a million dollars from Alabama who hasn't played down yet. 
And then there's whoever Ohio State's going to run at quarterback. Right. And who are they going to run at their number one wide receiver. Right. Which, very realistically, you could see a Heisman out of either of those two as well. They're saying Ohio State's receiving group is one of the best of all time mm-hmm. right now, this year. So, all in all, week one, Badgers over Penn State. I think both of us have Badgers in the Big Ten Championship game. I would, if they're not, I'd consider kind of a disappointing season. With, I would 100% agree. Uh, unfortunately, Justin's not here for his Badger breakdown and, and to kind of give us why we're right or why we're wrong. We'll talk to him next week when we're talking with Mason. We'll try to keep that in the show as well. I mean, really, the Badgers in general should be a New Year's Six Yeah, team. they should be either college football playoff or that New Year's Six game. So this, sh- again, so we're thinking they're probably a top 12 team. 12 team in the country, which I don't think is unrealistic. I think that's not actually... Not at all. That's exactly where they should be. That's where they're starting right. the season. And they damn well better finish there. Yep. So with that, we finish off with the episode with what we are rooting for in the upcoming week. No NFL this weekend. They'll take the week off before the regular season because they're going to play three preseason games now. Give me that back. I'm so excited for week one college football. It's college football is probably one of my favorite times of year. This time of year when the fall, you know, fall starts coming, you get to watch you know, college football all day Saturday and then tune NFL up for the Sunday. NFL on Sunday. And you have NASCAR playoffs going on. That week one where there's no NFL is always special, too. Because you see a lot of marquee matchups. And that we were just looking at, I mean, just the Big Ten schedule. But week one or NCAA football this week, you get some good games out yep. there. But all eyes on Madison, 11 o'clock Saturday morning. It's where my TV is going to be. I'm, I'm excited. That's where I'm going to root for the Badgers this week. Obviously, I'm rooting for the Brewers. Four games set against the Giants. Uh, first inning, Brewers took the lead already before even having to hit the field defensively. Corbin Burns on the mound tonight. Brandon Woodruff will take the field, I think, take the mound tomorrow. And I believe they're going to have Freddie Peralta come back off the IL for game three. There we go. So hopefully you can take at least, you can split with the Giants. That's that's the goal. After that, anything else is cake, you know, cherry on top of the cake. Three would be awesome. Four game split or four game sweep would be even better. So it's four games pretty much seal the playoffs. No, the Brewers' uh, magic number to to clinch the division, I believe, is at twenty five right now. So a combination of the Brewers winning and the Reds losing, I think, is a twenty four twenty five right now. With an eight game lead, though, correct? Eight and a half game lead. So that means the Reds' magic number would be. They would have to. I'd have to look at what theirs is to uh, get in. So the Brewers right now, magic number for the playoffs. Just to clinch a playoff spot is 22. Clinch a division, I believe it's 23. Nice. The Reds right now are 30 to clinch a playoff spot. So the division, not out of hand. But it's getting to that point with four more games. You don't play, the fact that they don't play the Brewers anymore this season makes that really tough. Makes that two-game stretch... Where realistically, they should probably have won at least the first game. Like, Milwaukee played good, but they didn't play their best game of the season that right. right? I think they actually kind of got at Corbin Burns a little bit that game, the first game of the set. And Milwaukee came back because Cincinnati has a weak bullpen. And that's what happened in game one. It got out of hand in game two. The Brewers just ran away with game two. And then game three was game three, but the Reds got one. So... 
kind of watching to see what the Brewers can do. The, mag- the Giants' magic number is 17. Uh, just to clinch a playoff spot, they have the best record in baseball. Three of your best records in baseball are coming out of the National League right now. It's right. the Brewers, the Giants, and the Dodgers. And then I believe the uh, the Rays, no, not the Rays, the Yankees. and No, yeah, the Rays are leading the AL East right now, too. They're up there. And then the White Sox have been playing really good baseball in the Central and the AL. So that's where my eyes are. Regular week, you know, work week, Brewers, weekend, college football, baby. There you go. Ramsey, how about you? Uh, NASCAR playoffs start Darlington this week. Um, probably tuned into that pretty close between Xfinity and um, Cup Cars. The, for what it's worth, I know I kind of shit on the NASCAR playoffs here a little bit ago, but this has probably been one of the most competitive seasons we've seen in a decade. So there's probably a legit, I talked about, I talk about nine drivers, Brad Kozlowski forward, mm-hmm. that actually have a legit chance of winning the championship in Phoenix. Your prediction on this show, I believe, is Joey Logano. Brad Kozlowski. Brad Kozlowski, okay. I still think there's some good tracks that's coming up for him that traditionally speaking, the playoffs, he's always done well. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Darlington. He run, always runs well there. Talladega's coming up, runs well there. He always seems to find a way to make it in to the playoff four. Mm-hmm. So I think he's going to get hot right at the end of the year and look really well. So pay attention to that. It's going to be a good It should be a good race at Darlington. It's always a good race at Darlington. It's always a fun race. I, I love Darlington because it's such a technical track that you can't, you can't mess up. Otherwise, you mess up your entire race. I'm I'm gonna make my official championship prediction for NASCAR. It's not a hot take. It's probably not the right one just because it never plays out this way. Give me Kyle Larson. I don't think there's a person in NASCAR driving better than him right now, with I think more to prove than Kyle Larson. I think he's got the whole world watching him. He knows that he's kind of in control of the whole thing. He's been so consistent up front, with the exception of this last weekend. He's second, third, first. You name it. I mean, he had the, the, that stretch of where he what was runner-up like three weeks in a row, too. He's won the most races this year. Give me Kyle Larson. Kind of like you said, though, it never seems to work out that way. Um, the, the last few years, at least, it always seems to come that the playoff points leader ends up catching that bad break in the round of eight, usually, is what happens. Because mm-hmm. usually, usually whoever gets the first position where Kyle Larson is. 40, the season champ. He's 47 points above the cut line right now. Mm-hmm. So 47 points, like I said, that's... He could legitimately DNF the first two races of this and still probably make the next round. Like That's how far ahead he is. Right. So I it seems like that's how it always happens, though, where it's always the guy who's in that third to sixth place range... That gets hot in the last few races of the year, and then all of a sudden is sitting there, and the leaders just just choke. So it's gonna be interesting. NASCAR playoffs is one of my favorite times of the year. Like I said, I kind of shit on it because I don't think it should be sixteen because it's just kind of a waste of time. Yeah, and I I still don't love the fact that the championship comes down to one race, like whoever finishes best in one race. But that's neither here nor there. I, yeah, we've talked about that pretty right. extensively on the show. 
I think it should go back to be what the old format used to be where, but then NASCAR doesn't like that because their last race doesn't mean anything because the championship's usually locked up. Like Denny Hamlin is what seventh in points didn't win a race. Mm-hmm. So Denny Hamlin, in theory, would have pretty much locked up the championship within the next few weeks here. Probably about a month out, he would have locked that thing up and it would have been just over. Right. So that is episode 38 of the Route for Wisconsin show. Next week we will have Mason. We'll have Justin back. Going to be a stacked house. Should be. Lots of stuff to talk about. Probably next week a longer episode. Uh, so buckle up for that one. But lots of Packer football. Some recapping the Badgers. Talk about the Brewers. Hopefully on a seven game or eight game win streak at that point. Right. They won on Sunday. But we'll get all to that next week. And hopefully it's Jill Tigers win. Because Ramsey and I will be probably back in the coaching saddle on Saturday. Or excuse me, on Thursday, Thursday this night. week. Um, for those of you listening, uh, week one did not go as planned. But lots of learning. Lots of potential. Yep. And the young team... And young coaching staff really kind of rather inexperienced the whole thing, including us two. Yep. So that is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 38. We are in the books. We are out. See ya. Bye.